Support for this podcast comes from Troy University, dedicated to teaching a new generation to lead change. Information on leadership opportunities available to students from day one is at troy.edu slash lead change. Hi, this is Tim Phillips, and you're listening to Clarinet Corner. Today's sort of a continuation of last week where we talked to Dorian Ketchens, who's maybe one of the most recognizable New Orleans musicians. And today we'll begin the show with her recording of Stormy Weather. And that was Stormy Weather with Doreen's Jazz New Orleans. We're talking to Doreen Ketchens today. Uh, Doreen, I wanted to start with Stormy Weather today because I wanted to talk to you about Hurricane Katrina, uh, which happened in 2005. And um, tell me about how that affected your life and and maybe the residual of that, how how you were were able to kind of move forward after it. Well, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, Katrina was coming and, you know, we that was a very busy year for storms. So mm-hmm. we had evacuated and and you know attempted to evacuate and stuff. I don't know a good six times or so before Katrina. So when Katrina came, you know, it 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 sort of veered. It was coming to us, then it veered off, then it came to us. You know, so we had exhausted you know ourselves emotionally and you know financially. We just didn't want to you know you know, do any more to get out. But we, so we decided we were going to stay for Katrina. We weren't going to leave. And uh, mm-hmm. we boarded up the house and then we turned on the weather channel and it just was so ominous. It was huge. And I looked at my husband and he looked at me and said, you know, I don't think I want to be here for this. And I said, me either. So we got in the car and we left. This was just a few hours before the storm actually hit. And uh, the storm hit us when we were on the interstate. Uh, and, oh, wow. yeah, it was it was really crazy and not, not so. But uh, we got out of it, and we wound up at my mom, my, my aunt's house in Beaumont, Texas. And we were just looking at the, the news and everything and couldn't stand it, you know. So we came home about nine days after. And we had two homes. Uh, one had... Uh, four and a half feet of water, but the other one just had a lot of damage, no water. So we, we, we were there and Lawrence's mother's house had 22 feet of water. So oh, man. we were all together uh, at our home and um, it was dark and it was smelly. It was a mess. Um, but even that, you know, emotionally, you know, I think transforms and, you know, in some way, you know, the, the, the music that comes out of your instrument. Mm-hmm. But, once things started coming back to life, you know, people started coming back to rebuild and a few weeks later and stuff, we realized that there was nothing for us. I mean, even the gigs we had, you know, didn't exist anymore because the city was in shambles. Um, yep. And, you know, where we play on the street, you know, there was nothing but workers, you know, people hammering and nailing. There was nothing. There were no tourists because everybody still thought, even months later, people thought New Orleans was still underwater, you know? Yep. Uh, but we had a lot of fans that um, had met us and, you know, wanted to send us money and, and stuff. And a lot of people did. They sent us money. And um, one guy, uh, he asked, he said, uh, what can we do for you? You know, can we send you some money? I said, you know, 
we need to work, you know, because our embouchures are being exercised and stuff like that. And he's, his name was David Olson, and uh, he's from Dubuque, Iowa. He was He's a superintendent of schools now, but back then he was uh, a principal of a school called Hempstead. Uh, mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'll see what I can do. And then another guy from the other side of Iowa, wonderful Iowa, <laughs> he was in Sioux City, and now he's actually my daughter's godfather, Gerald Balmer. He was uh, an administrator and a professor at uh, Morningside College in uh you know, in, in Iowa, and he, I told him the same thing. He said, well, we'll see what we can do. Well, first Jerry called back, and he said, how about two weeks in Iowa? And we played, and it was wonderful. People came out, and, you know, it was our first real, I remember going to downtown Sioux City and seeing life again, you know, a normalcy, and it was just mm-hmm. amazing, you know. So, um, yeah, Iowa gave us our boost. We did two weeks there in, uh, I think, October. And then in December, we went to Dubuque, and we did two weeks there. And then things started, you know, happening for us, traveling. You know, most of our gigs were somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. And then people started coming home and having celebrations, you know, because they came home and, you know, things got sort of back to normal. But uh, it was it was a rough, a rough time. It was about two years. Uh, really, really, before things actually started, before it was a year before we came back out on the street because there was just nothing here, you know, for us to play to. Um, yeah. Now, when when uh, I know I know the lower ninth ward was uh, the part that was most affected by the storm, and I've I've watched uh, documentaries about that and seen uh, how bad it still is. I mean, it's still not uh, recovered, and and it's never going to be what it was before. Um, but uh, what what was it like in the French Quarter around like where you where you all perform? Was was that uh, as as affected or how? What was that like? I, I'm not really sure. Well, this is high ground. The French Quarter, uh, you know, is high ground. It's the first built mm-hmm. uh, sections, and they built it on the highest ground. So the French Quarter, you know, very very little flooding. I mean, maybe inches, but. Uh, you know, because it's right at the river. But the further you get from the river, the higher it gets. Now, our house in the Treme um, was, you know, seven blocks from, well, nine blocks from the river, so we got four feet of water. The people in the next block got a little more, and the people in the next block. And my my husband's mother's house, you know, like I said, had 22 feet of water. That was in the night ward, but not in the lower night ward. She was in the upper mm-hmm. night ward. So you see, the, oh, the further okay. you go from the river, the the, the, the the more devastation it was. And the French Quarter had, a, you know, wind damage, roof damage, and stuff like that, but no real, uh, and, you know, of course, the electricity went out for a long time. So, you know, you had the stench and stuff like that, but nothing really, you know, uh, as bad as the night ward. And, of course, the money, the first monies, you know, came to the French Quarter because that's how the city makes their money. You see, the reason yep. the night ward isn't very, um, it still looks like, you know, you still have sections in the night ward that look like the storm happened just a little while ago is because most of those houses, you know, you have you have a, you have a tax exempt, you know, status uh, up to a mm-hmm. certain amount of money on your house. So if your house is worth a little less than, I think it's like seventy five thousand dollars, then you don't pay any taxes. But if it's worth eighty thousand dollars, you pay five thousand on, you know, in taxes. Mm-hmm. So most of those houses in the night ward, you know, they're tax exempt. They were worth less than seventy five thousand or just a little more, you know. So for the city, that that didn't mean much money. And, it, and really, if it wasn't for people like Brad Pitt. And uh, Harry Connick Jr. and 
you know, so many other people like that, it, it, it mm-hmm. still wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have the progress that you even have now. Yeah. Habitat for Humanities, I mean, it's just amazing, you know, and they, they, you know, you talk about the immigrants and stuff like that, but, you know, the, the Latin Americans built this city, I kid you not, you know, because there's just not, there were just not enough people to do the work, you know, mm-hmm. and we have all these people that came from somewhere else looking for work, and it was just a, a, a marriage that worked, you know, that's why New Orleans is, you know, uh, if people say it's back, it's, it's never going to be like it was, I mean, it's, Right. Now there's a lot of people from somewhere else here, you know, so that southern hospitality, so to speak, is is sort of uh, how do you, how do you say uh, weakened, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's still a very nice place, and I still am grateful to be from it and be able able to make a living in it, you know. Still a hard place. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanna I wanna say that at least in in my recent travels down there, I'm I'm. Uh, always impressed uh by the diversity of the city and by the music and the food and the culture and uh, i never want to leave honestly when i'm there i i love it there and um i had a, a guest come here from europe and he'd never been down there and he wanted to go because it's such a historic place with regard to music and jazz and stuff and we were walking around and he he said oh this is a lovely city it reminded him of uh of being in some of those smaller uh towns in europe you know uh, it's yeah. just got this different feel than uh, than any other place I've ever been to in the United States, and that's that that may be why I like it so much because it's so unique. Um, but l- let's uh, let's do a little bit more listening. We're going to listen to another track from your uh, volume twenty two, Doreen's Jazz New Orleans. This is hopefully the way you feel a little bit more now than you did after Katrina. This is called World on a String. I've got the world on a string, sitting on the rainbow. Got that string around my finger. What a world, what a life. I'm in love. And I've got a song that I sing. I can make the rainbow anytime. I move my finger. Lucky me, can't you see that I'm in love? That was World on a String, performed by Doreen Ketchens and Doreen's Jazz New Orleans. Um, Doreen, I want to know about your musical influences, because I know that you play all kinds of stuff, and I always notice that you're having a good time when you're doing it. And, uh, like, how, how do you decide what to do? I mean, do you do arrangements of, of stuff that you that you like? Do you draw the line somewhere? I'm not going to play that. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I, I learned... Uh, how to play jazz um, through listening. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I told you before, when I was in high school and stuff, I had an opportunity to learn jazz and to play jazz, but I didn't because, you know, when I heard the clarinet players that played it, you know, I didn't like their tones and I wasn't too crazy about their technique. And I was like, well, you know, I've worked too hard on what I got to, you know, l- you know, do that. I mean, but of course there's an appreciation, you know, that I have for you know, those tones and those techniques now. Uh, it's not my style, but, you know, I still can appreciate it now more than I did then. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I wasn't interested in playing jazz, and, and, and I was okay with that. But, you know, the love makes you do crazy things. So I started, uh, I wanted to play jazz. I wanted to sound good. You know, I went from sounding really great to playing jazz and not sounding very good at all, you know. 
And yeah. I, I was listening to this guy named Pud Brown. He was about 83 at that time, and he was a circus baby. He was playing clarinet. He could play any instrument, but he was playing clarinet at that time. And I asked him, I said, Pud, how do you know so many songs? How do you, you know, how do you do this? He said, well, just find somebody you like and steal, you know? <laughs> so that's what I did. I found Buster Bailey. I found that the clarinet players that played a lot of them, that played with Louis Armstrong, I was, you know, I liked their tones. And, you know, their technique mm-hmm. was pretty good. So I found Edmund yep. Hall and Buster Bailey and Barney Begard, and I started trying to steal some stuff that they did. And the first song, the first solo I stole was Sweet Georgia Brown from Buster Bailey. And it was wonderful. You know, I could sound good. I could sound like everybody else, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, basically, that's what I I had been doing. And, you know, through that, through the course of all that, I was actually listening to Louis Armstrong waiting for the clarinet solo. And, you know, he's just so amazing, you know. And mm-hmm. so I guess that's why they called me, you know, the female Louis Armstrong or whatever, because he's in my head. He's in my heart. Yep. You know, it's just you know, when I think about, uh, you know, this, that, I mean, it's Louis Armstrong, Stanley Weinstein, I mean, it's just, that's what it is, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 I learned my style and all of that stuff comes from the Louis Armstrong situation. It really and truly does, you know, and yeah, I even and I can... I to Louis now, I, I just, you know, I melt. Yeah, I can, I can uh, tell that, that, that quality in your voice. And I actually love it when you, uh, when you sing, when you play, because, uh, I mean, as a clarinet player, I've listened to many thousands of clarinet concerts. Nobody ever sings except for you and maybe a couple people. <laughs> and, uh, and I, 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 I like that part. I, I, I would assume that that's pretty appealing to your non, uh, non clarinet person you know i mean people probably probably uh really respond to that on the street when you're performing huh well yeah i mean you know people are like wow i've never heard a clarinet played like that before people ask me to say is that a, a regular clarinet you know they think it's some kind of different clarinet or something like yeah. that so i mean the and plus the clarinet calls them from way you know way away and you know people say i can hear it three blocks down the street and stuff like that so you know yeah. I, I i mean i think um some people even tell me, they say, I don't know what I like the best, you know, your clarinet or your voice. So I think it's oh, a, wow. a combination of the two, you know, I mean, um, I don't know, but you know, it, it, it's wow. wonderful that people like it. <laughs> okay. I've got another one for you. Um, I've, I've, I've often wanted this. So I've always wanted to ask you this. I know that they shoot a lot of movies in New Orleans and there are probably tons of famous people. You mentioned Brad Pitt and his, uh, um, interest in the economic vitality of, of the area and the, and the rebuilding after Katrina and Harry Connick Jr. I know is from New Orleans. Have you encountered any, uh, like famous people coming to listen to you play or maybe even, uh, like some Hollywood type, uh, stuff? Like have you been in any productions or anything because of, uh, New Orleans being Hollywood too? Yeah, well, we were in Treme, you know, that series on HBO. And Mm -hmm. uh, a few years back, like two years back, I was in the Tyler Perry movie, uh, Temptation. uh, Mm -hmm. And the whole New Orleans scene, you know, was me. Like, you know, I said, well, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm in the movie because, you know, by the time it hits the editing room floor, you know, (laughs) you know, you might not have anything but a finger, you know, in the uh, movie. but. So I didn't know what to expect or anything, and I didn't even know it was out. But um, that day, you know, uh, when it came out, it was on a Friday, uh, it showed at the, the theater right up the street from where we play. 
and uh, people were coming and pointing, you know, and there was a big old crowd, and, you know, people were acting really weird, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And my phone was just blowing up. I mean, you know, I had like a hundred uh, different voicemails or something, you know, uh, I mean, emails on my phone, you know, why didn't you tell me this, that, and the other? And mm-hmm. uh, then I put it all together and I realized there was a Tyler Perry thing when somebody said, hey, you're in that movie we just saw, you know. And so we went yeah. to see it and I was expecting to see this little this little shot. But the whole time they were in New Orleans, well, first of all, when they traveled to New Orleans, you know, they went from the plane and then they showed my face. It was huge, you know, on the screen. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> back up. <laughs> and the whole mu- you know, the music the whole time w- w- was us, you know. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. But yeah. that's about it. Like I said, we're blacklisted. So, you know, you can come here to New Orleans and ask for you know, a heavy set black lady that plays the clarinet on the street and they'll say, Well, I don't I don't know uh who you're talking about. You know, it's just <laughs> that's just how it is. Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, um I, there there are a lot of different kinds of, of music uh, performances in New Orleans on the street, and uh, I've I've been down there and heard some kids playing brass instruments, and they they sound god awful, and I've I've heard like mid level uh, people playing, uh, you know, over there on uh, Jackson Square and stuff. Um, there, I mean, there's all kinds of music in various parts, but um, uh, in terms of quality, I think I, I don't know that there's anybody better than you, and um, I, I think it's a I think it's something that that people really remember when they're down there. And yeah. I certainly do. I always, always look for you when I'm down there. Oh, thank um, you. Oh. I've been talking with Doreen Ketchins. Thank you so much for being with me on the show today. I appreciate it very much. Thanks again for having me, Tim. It's absolutely been wonderful. Thanks for letting me talk. I love talking, too. <laughs> I love hearing it. You've been listening to Clarinet Corner, a production of Troy University Public Radio, and there's a lot more where that came from. Support comes from Sunshine Behavioral Medicine, committed to the idea that mental health, like physical wellness, requires regular maintenance and checkups. More information at sunshine2000.com.